Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. With topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development, our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat. Uh, we're your host, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler. Um, we got an episode today. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to talk about accountability um, and accountability when it comes from players, parents, and coaches. We're going to try to cover as many facets of accountability as possible um, because the big thing is, is for me as a coach, um, as a young man, you know, I guess I'm a middle-aged man at this point in time in my life, but <laughs> I, I see, you know, people talk about working hard all the time. People talk about, hey, you got to put in your best effort. Uh, but to me, to be successful, and this is something that, you know, you hear some people he- say, but you don't have to be the smartest guy in the world to be successful in life. You don't have to be the strongest guy in the world. You don't have to be the fastest guy in the world when you, you're talking to athletics. You know, to me, accountability and consistency are the main two things that separate the greats, you know, from the average people in life, whether it's business, whether it's sport. Um, I mean, hell, from just, you know, doing your day-to-day tasks, Um, and I'll talk about some stuff that I do and Adam will talk about some stuff that he does. But the biggest thing that I want you guys to understand is, you know, I'm going to say a lot of things that might piss people off, you know, like usual, right. I'm going to say a lot of good things that people are going to be happy to hear, but you know, I, I'm not a perfect person by any means. And Adam will be the first person to tell you that he's not perfect. And, you know, we both believe in God and we both are, we fall short of the glory of God. But at the end of the day, you know, our goals are to live, learn, and pass on and to help develop young men and young women for the next level, whether it's in sport or it's in life. Um, and we're going to talk about accountability and we're going to talk about what we can do in our experiences to help people today. Um, and Adam's going to kind of jump in a little bit about uh, what's going on with the Knights, but we'll go ahead and touch on that right now. What's going on with the Knights? You guys are getting ready to go to Jupiter, right? Yeah, so we head out uh, October 8th. We start up down in Jupiter. So it's the 96 teams that are going to be down there for the World Championships. Uh, we're sending a very talented squad. I think there's 28 kids on the roster. I think 26 of them have already committed somewhere to play in college. Uh, they put out their little projections. We were projected to win our pool, which we both know that absolutely means nothing. Mm-hmm. It's all about just getting hot at the right time. So it's going to be fun, man. I'm excited about it. A good friend of mine, Corey Hall, he works for Perfect Game. He's always tried to get me to go down there just to be a spectator. And I'm super excited to kind of just see the talent around the country as well as I think some teams from Puerto Rico are coming over. So – it's just the ultimate amateur baseball that's going to be played down there. Wood bats, you're going to have guys throwing upper 90s, mid 90s. You're going to have sliders. You're going to have all this kind of stuff. So I'm super excited to get down to take this group down there as well as the staff that the Knights have put together, man. The head guy running it, he uh, has coached at a high school in Louisiana for I think 33 years. It's called Barb High School. He's had two sons. His own two sons have made it to the big leagues. He's coached a lot of talented players, and he's very high-energy, successful, positive. And just being around the guys last Sunday, I was really able to get a good feel of why he's successful. And uh, he's on there. Uh, Our pitching coach had just retired from the Minnesota Twins. Our first base coach is a scout for the Dodgers. It's just – it's a lot of great baseball minds. And I think more than anything, I'm just pumped to kind of be around – those those guys as well as in the dugout but also just back at the airbnb house when we're just talking shop and talking ball because we talk about it on here all the time as you can learn i mean oh, yeah. learning never stops and so i'm so excited just to pick their brain about this the stuff they're seeing at this amateur division of baseball and at the high levels what's playing so just 
just to talk shop more than anything. So it's going to, uh, it's going to be a talented group. I'll keep you guys updated. We might have to do a show from down there. I think I fly down there on Wednesday, so we'll do a live update show, kind of keep everybody posted on how the things are going down there. But besides that, we got baseball on TV today. We've got the wild card oh, starting yeah. up. So I'm super excited about that. This little best of three stuff kind of reminds me of the super regionals. It's mm-hmm. the college area. Now there's pressure on you. And we talk about it all the time. I think this is putting a little bit more pressure, even on the baseball players of if the guys, doesn't have it on the mound you got to get him out right away or if a guy's not filling at the plate maybe normally you wouldn't pitch it for him but in this situation you're doing whatever you can to advance so it's cool to watch the urgency that these guys are playing with and we're going to keep you updated throughout the playoffs and kind of think who we think are the favorites and kind of go from there but I'm so glad you hit on uh, what we're going to really talk about today we had uh, a guy come in last night he's done a couple commercial for us in the past and we did like a little sit-down interview and it'll come out in probably two weeks and one of his questions was like what is it? What does an athlete mean to you? As well as, what am I doing here, coaching that is making kids better? Not necessarily physicality-wise, but we talk so much about mentality of focusing every single rep, every single pitch, and competing against each other. And I think I used the word com- competition probably ten times last night without even knowing it, just because. Anything in life, you're going to compete. There's a winner and a loser, and you have to whether you're going to the store and you're getting with somebody from that standpoint of what's going to get figured out here. If you're working at a retail store, there's just so many different scenarios that you can have of the competition base. You can challenge yourself. You can compete against yourself. So accountability, another thing that we had talked about before we came on is everybody claims they want to hear the truth. And then when you're honest with them, they don't like it. They don't like constructive criticism. I think we've got to really talk about these players have to understand constructive criticism. And more than anything, you nailed it is like these players have to know, number one, that we love and we care about them. And then we can push them harder. If they just think all the time we're getting on them, getting on them, getting on them. We've played for guys like that. You just don't ever think you're pleasing this person. And it stinks to be a player in that situation. But if you really feel that that guy loves and cares about you, you can understand, hey, this is why he's doing it to me. Now it's my turn to step up and get after it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, you know, I I love the fact that we're going to cover, you know, the player perspective, the parent perspective and the coach perspective, Um, because obviously we're the majority of the time we're talking to players, we're talking to parents um, and we talk to coaches as well. But it's mainly toward the players about, hey, what to get better at? Hey, this is what we need to focus on. Um, But, you know, we can talk about X's, O's and mechanics and we're going to have a million episodes just like we've already had about that stuff. But it's episodes like this that, you know, hey, if you're a parent, sit down with your son or sit down with your daughter and listen to this. Um, and kind of the things that I want to talk about first is I want to talk about players specifically. We'll, we'll cover them. And I want to talk about players that are blaming others for failures, players that blame other people for, you know, screwing up maybe in a game, uh, maybe in the weight room. You know, is there anything like that, Adam, story-wise, or anything you can think of in, in recent history of players that, you know, they're pointing at everybody else but themselves? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems to happen, especially out on the ball field when errors start to happen. I've noticed when errors start to happen, maybe it's the pitcher getting on the position players or the position players getting on each other about, hey, you got to make that throw, you got to make that cut. And uh, in one instance this summer, we were actually at the World Wood Bat. It was the one game we lost, but we had – in that pressure situation, we're playing a very good Canes national team. And we broke down. We had three errors. And then, like we always talk about is we didn't make those errors on purpose. They just happened. And the players started bickering towards each other. And myself, as well as the guy I coached with, Coach Chris Poole, he's an awesome guy, very positive guy, called anybody, everybody together right away and told them, look, the negativity's got to get out of here. Like, we're all in this together. When the going gets tough, don't go against each other. Come together and fight for each other. So that's one instance that I can – 
in recent memory I can really point to from the standpoint of blaming somebody else for something else going on. Uh, an instance for the weight room, well, maybe it's, hey, I'm not able to get my work in because this one over here is being too slow or he's not showing up on time, he's not pushing me. Or I think kids nowadays have to understand is the drive comes with, from within yourself. Is Yes, this is a team environment, but if you're not in this for yourself and trying to get better as yourself, you're not going to be a good team. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of – you hear that saying a lot of, like, oh, well, you don't want selfish ball players. Well, I, I kind of want selfish ball players because selfish ball players, from a standpoint of self-accountability, they're going to put work in on their own. They're going to eat right. They're going to do everything necessary to help the team. I think that's mm-hmm. what – you've got to really bridge that gap together. I'm not talking about selfish that goes up there and swings to the – defense every time and doesn't want to play the game i'm just meaning from a standpoint of you've got to care about this and if you don't go do something else go play golf because it's literally just you out there playing or go play tennis it's just you this is an ultimate team sport where you've got to be willing to sacrifice anything for your job for your team to win and unfortunately at the end of the day not everybody's going to play professional baseball but if you just have the accountability standpoint of i'm going to give it my all i'm going to do what i need to do for the team i'm going to wear a pitch 90 miles an hour off the shoulder to help my team win or i'm going to make that dive and catch whatever it is is Later in life, you're going to remember that kind of stuff of why you're being successful now. And so more than anything is self-accountability and look in the mirror. A lot of people don't want to look in the mirror because they're so busy pointing fingers at somebody and I'm not getting recruited because my coach doesn't like me. No, that's probably not the reason right there, but you're already telling yourself that. Maybe you're hearing it from your parents or you're hearing it from somebody else, but in my opinion, you're making excuses about it as opposed to handling it and doing the best you can at it. But that's just kind of my opinion on it. What, what was your thing from a player standpoint where maybe it's an example you have or you deal with a lot more guys in the weight room, maybe something on the weight room side of things of what excuses they come up with or the self-blame that they put on other people? Absolutely. You know, we live in, and I, I don't want to sound like that old guy because this is with every generation, but people lie to themselves and I feel like it's happening more than ever. Uh, and I, I have a love hate relationship with social media. And what I love about social media is the information, the knowledge that we can get from other people, people that do what we do or get motivated from other people doing things. Um, but 90% of the people that are online are BS in everyone. And I, there's people that I know, there's people that I've seen that say they're living a certain way or say they're training or, or working hard a certain way. And in the real world, they're not doing that. And again, like we've talked about before, people want the appearance of being a badass. They want the appearance of being a hard worker, but they don't actually want to go to it. They want all the credit. But the problem is, is that, you know, it's the journey and the process where all that knowledge comes from. It's the journey and the process where your confidence comes from. It's the journey and the process that creates you into a hard man or hard, you know, a strong independent woman. And you can't skip the road traveled. You can't. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through probably three stories right here and it's going to be a little long. Um, but I'm going to talk about my first year at South Alabama. I was the number one hitter um, coming out of the state of Indiana. And uh, I was like the fourth prospect overall. There are three pitchers in front of me. I, I fractured my L4, L5, and S1 in my back um, in my – is March, April of my senior year of high school. It's already signed to go to South Alabama and everything. I show up on campus, and I'm immediately – I'm pretty much just doing bitch work all the time. And I'm painting base pads. I'm doing field work. I'm, I'm cleaning the dugouts. I'm doing all this stuff. So I went from this – you know, and, of course, I, I had an ego just like everybody does, and – I went from that guy to being humbled, you know, in two seconds and, and, and going down there and having this, this route. And I, that went like that. I was injured for about 22 total months. Um, I played through an injury in my redshirt freshman year, but 
fast forward a year later, I took a medical red shirt and I threw a kit, wanted me to field some ground balls at third base. And I spent the whole summer, I didn't play anywhere, obviously. I spent the whole summer working an umpire job and just trying to get my back healthy enough so I could keep my scholarship my redshirt freshman year. So I, all I've worked on was hitting. And so, you know, being 19 years old and being kind of like, okay, hitting is the most important thing, which in essence it is. I was not prepared to throw baseballs from across their base. And everybody knows me knows that I could throw the ball 90, 92 miles an hour uh, with a crow hop um, and really get into it in, in my prime um, back in my has-been days, right? But um, I was not prepared. So we had Joel Collins, who you remember, uh, was going, went over to first base because I was in his hitting group and our four-on-ones. And they start throwing, hitting me ground balls. And I, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I have not fielded a ground ball in forever. I have not thrown in forever because I was putting all my energy into hitting and we're trying to recover because my back was so messed up. I ended up I, – I, I did okay fielding, but I probably one-hopped and two-hopped about 10 balls across the diamond, right? Um, I could have left that saying – Hey, they screwed me over. I wasn't prepared for this. This was our first four-on-one practice, but I left that with the mindset of I screwed up. I did not prepare myself for this. No matter, even if I had this back injury, even if I was in un unbelievable pain, I used to put on horse liniment on my back in, in, in college just to be able to get through the pain to play. And even with those as quote unquote excuses, it's still not an excuse. I still should have found time to throw. I should have taken less hacks at the, at the plate and focused more on getting my arm in shape. I could have sit there and said, hey, that's the coach's fault. He doesn't know my story. He didn't know the trials and tribulations that I've been through. I showed up when we had a four-on-one practice and I wasn't prepared. My fault. Accountability's on me. And I, I, I still, to this day, I think about that every now and then just because I let myself down, but it was a really good learning experience for me. And I made sure that I was prepared for any, any random situation possible. So let's fast forward to now as a, as a coach, as a mentor, um, trying to help young men and women at the next level. I had a, I have a story about a kid um, from the street, the conditioning side. Um, he came up to me and basically said, um, and this was some time ago. I'm not obviously getting into details who this was because I love this kid. I loved him when he was training with me, but he comes up to me and goes, coach, I don't know if I'm getting the gains that I should be getting coming here. I, I, I thought that I should be, I, I think I should be making more gains. I'm not getting out of this. What I've been told I'm going to get out of this essentially. And he said some other things. And so I sat back and I listened to him. I listened to him talk about how he feels like he can recreate the environment at his house. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. And so he says, I feel like that I, I can, I don't have, I shouldn't have to, I can do this without having to pay for it. And I feel like that I'm, you know, the money is not worth, you know, the, the, what I'm getting out of this year. And I go, okay. So I asked him how much he sh thinks it should be. He didn't really have an answer for me. I go, I've, I told him straight up for it. I've never had anybody complain about the price because I always have a mindset of over delivering. And then I started asking him more details. I'm like, hey, have you been doing everything that we talk about when you're on your own? Well, what do you mean? So when people sign up for street to conditioning memberships with me, they're, we run through nutrition about five to six meals a day, talking about eating whole foods, talking about hydrating, drinking plenty of water, making sure we're getting a lot of fruits, getting some vegetables, but mainly eating the meat and getting the calories in. I asked him, has he been eating those six meals a day? The answer was no. I asked him, is he drinking his protein shakes and taking his creatine? What I advise and I, I highly recommend, don't make him do it, but he agreed that he said he wanted to do this. He said the answer was no. We have a 15-minute 
um, pre-warm-up a lot of times where guys come in and they get some extra work in. How many times was that guy going, coming in and doing it? Never. And so I went through all this stuff and I explained some things to him and everything I asked him, he didn't have an answer for. And so what he was doing and what I found out later on is he was talking to a couple of his buddies about how he hasn't been gaining weight. And essentially he said all those things to me because he hasn't gaining muscle. And I asked him, how long have you been training? How long have you been training in the weight room? And he said, one year. I go, so you know everything about there is the strength and conditioning and then one year into this. I go, man, I wish I had that kind of knowledge base, man. You know, just joking around with him. And I told him, I was like, dude, I'm not mad at you. I don't dislike you. I actually love you as a young man. I'm really glad because I, I really am happy when people are honest with me because it helps me help them. And I, I told him, I was like, I can't help you if you're not honest with me from the get-go. And I can't help you if you don't do what I ask you to do, if you're not implementing those things. So what this kid was is he was blaming me because his weight gain wasn't where it's supposed to be. He was still 20 pounds below where he wanted. And I told him, like, we break down muscle in the weight room. You know, we're training for strength. We're training for power. But we're also training for hypertrophy. We're training to gain muscle. We're training to gain size. It is impossible to gain weight without putting fuel in your body. It's a law of thermodynamics. If you got to consume more in order to more than your BMR in order to gain weight. And he apparently had this mindset, and even though I went all over over this, had this mindset that he was going to gain muscle and get big and get, you know, all this other things. And guys, his age were 20, 30 pounds heavier than him. They were making, you know, improvements physically. And the funny thing about this kid is his numbers were all going up. His deadlift numbers were going up, right? His, his, his vertical jump was going up. All of his actual metrics were improving, but in his head, he was not improving because his body weight was at a certain level. And that kind of showed me what most kids kind of see is it's not about the whole picture to them. It's about what they see in their tunnel vision of what they think is improvement. And here's the problem is that he was looking for somebody to blame because his weight wasn't at a certain weight. And what he needed to do is he needed to look in the mirror. And what he should have done is he should have approached me and coach, I'm not gaining weight. What am I doing wrong? And even though he already knows all the answer, but here's the problem is I can't, I don't respect men or, or players when they are blaming other people for things and they're not looking at the X's and O's of what they're doing. They're not looking at what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. And for me, when somebody sits there and they say things like this and they're saying, Hey, you know, I don't think I'm getting out of this way. I should be getting out of this. You could be with the worst strength conditioning coach in the world. You could be with a dad. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, my dad didn't know anything about hitting. I ended up being, being a division one baseball player. The only thing that I did is I worked hard and I was consistent and I did everything that was asked of me. I figured it out. Um, and a lot of coaches and instructors will talk about that as well as the body auto, auto regulating and figuring things out. You know, you, you got to hit 90 mile hour fastball. You got to figure it out. And you know, your timing gets better. It is what it is. And this kid and well, this young man, um, he didn't understand those things. And once I broke it down with that, by the end of the conversation, it was a completely different kid. He kind of said, he goes, well, now that you break it down like that, I kind of understand a little bit. And what I realized with this, this, this story is you can never communicate enough. You can never have these conversations, these tough conversations enough. And what I should be doing more of, and now I looked at how can I grow as a coach? What are you expecting to get out of this? Hey, how, how, how's your goals? Are you achieving your goals right now? There's a questions that I need to ask more consistently. And obviously I can't make those kids answer those questions. But to me, you know, by saying you're too busy, which he said he was too busy to eat enough meals, 
Um, he said he was going to this practice, football practice. And I couldn't find meals here. Those, those are all excuses. You know, saying that you're too busy is just a bunch of BS to lie to yourself. The reason why you're not achieving your goals. And again, you know, if you want to be successful, if you say you want to play at elite level, you have to do things that you don't want to do. You have to do the dull mundane, thing, mundane things you don't want to do, period. And when those things happen, you know, you've got to look in the mirror. And those are growth opportunities. And when coaches have those conversations with you, those are growth opportunities. Um, but for me, pretending that you, when, if you're an athlete and you're pretending that you have all the answer, answers and you're blaming somebody else, there's a huge problem and you're not growing mentally inside and emotionally like you should be. And the basically I want to add on to this, Adam, is, you know, say on top of not doing what they're supposed to be doing, what you're teaching them. How do you approach kids when they say they miss a lesson? They didn't call you, didn't update you. They didn't text you. Um, somebody screws up. Maybe they had a, maybe you had team hitting one day and they didn't let you know you weren't going to be there, you know? And I actually was approached this. And I was asked this question on Twitter actually today. Um, and somebody was asking me about this and I wanted to approach this ironically earlier. Um, but there's a lot of times kids will show up and like this kid I was just referring to, he wasn't showing up for the 15 minutes early warm up. you know, wasn't communicating with me. How has that happened to you in the past and how have you approached young men or young women to communicate with you and have more responsibility and discipline and accountability? Yeah. I mean, I think first off, I mean, you did a very good job there breaking down that scenario of <clears throat> where a kid thinks he's supposed to be reaching these certain goals, but he's not doing his part of the, the, his part of the process. And when his numbers are going up in the weight room, obviously when he's with you, he's doing well. It's when he's away from you, he's not. So there's only one person to blame there and that is himself. But with this question right here, it goes back to communication. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it again this week is just being able to communicate and letting people know what is going on. I think everybody just assumes that if I skip a workout or I skip a lesson or I skip a practice, Ah, it's not that big of a deal. I, I practice enough. I'm already that good. I don't need to get the extra work in. Well, what's that old saying of extra work isn't for everybody and neither is playing time. So if you're not coming to practice, that would be one thing automatically. If I had, we still ran teams here of me and you were both college coaches and high school coaches, whatever it is, if, if a kid is late to practice or he's not communicating that he has a lab or he's not communicating, he's got this extra work, then he's going to get punished for it. And it's going to be on the playing time side of things. He's not going to get the same opportunity as guys that are continue to show up every day. Cause as soon as you start to show that favoritism towards maybe one of your better players, you're going to get taken advantage of as a coach. And when that happens, you've lost your whole process there mm -hmm. and nobody's going to respect you. Everybody's think they're going to run over you. And then you're just in a bad spot. And your team's not going to be very good. So we always talk about it before is it's so awesome when you get that athlete number one that is an amazing athlete but number two is the hardest worker on the team and it's very rare you don't get that all the time where they're both of that combination of being the best skilled player as well as being the hardest worker on the team but when you do you've got to bottle that up and spread that throughout the whole team so going back to this question here is you've got to be able to communicate and if it's I'm not coming in for a lesson you better have a reason why you didn't come in for a lesson. And it can't be, I forgot about it or I didn't feel like it because that's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to us as instructors, as well as to your team that's depending on you. You're letting all of them down by you not attending this workout or this practice or this lesson. So it's uncalled for, but it happens a lot. And I think it's just kind of the new age of, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I just, I'll, I'll make it up on my, on my own. And when they do say that, very rarely do they make it up on their own. It's just you've got to be able to put in the extra stuff and sacrifice, whether it's going on vacations, whether it's spending extra time with your girlfriend, whatever it is from that standpoint of this is my ultimate goal. 
Now, what you brought up earlier is an amazing point of if you're not, if you're trying to read a goal, reach a goal, they need to approach you. Hey, Sean, man, like I've been doing this for a month. I'm, I'm not reaching my weight goal and talk about it and you'll be open to discuss it. But number one, don't go in there automatically blaming somebody else, but get on the same page because we don't know how everybody's going on. You might be having a lot of homework that's stressing you out. So you don't have an appetite or maybe you have some uh, family issues going on. And there's a lot of that stuff that goes on that is behind closed doors. So one thing we like to talk about on here is yes, we're baseball coaches, but we're also life coaches. So if there's anything ever going on guys, just talk about it to us. Number one is they talk about all the time is you have to get this stuff out of you. If you just hold it within inside, it's going to eat you alive. You're not going to sleep good at night. Like I said, your nutrition's going to stink and your performance is going to suffer because of it. So just by talking to us, whether we're psychologists, some of the times we're counselors, whatever it is from that standpoint, there's just so much that goes into it versus just us being baseball coaches. So I think if I would say we both do a very good job of being able to relate to players and cause we've been there before and mm-hmm. when things pop up. If we don't know something, I'm going to, reach out to somebody that hey he's been through this i want you to talk to him or hey when guys talk about injuries number one i go to myself i had a lot of injuries but then the more i think about it sean had a lot of injuries so we deal with players injuries are part of the game mm-hmm. injuries suck but they happen and so when they happen it's how do you bounce back and we know plenty of players that never bounce back because of it because when you do get injured you got to put in twice as much work as you ever did before to get back to where you were before and i think the injuries derail a lot of people whether it's a surgery or a big time injury i'm not talking about just like a a little sprained ankle or something like that, but something oh, where you're going to have to put in six to eight marks of work to just get back to on the field process. So, uh, but ultimately it's just, it goes back to communication. What, mm-hmm. uh, and in some instances, like if somebody doesn't show up at LT on time or they don't show up and they don't tell you about it, they just go AWOL then they come back in the next week. Are you going to kind of pull that athlete aside and talk to him about it? Or well, how do you kind of approach that situation? Absolutely. So, you know, and everything we're addressing here that, that everybody's listening, we're going to talk about the top things that we see that need more accountability from the player side, obviously parents and, and coaches later on. But to answer your question, Adam, you know, it happens every now and then. And we have cancellation policies, obviously, and fees and stuff like that. And, and to, I always tell the player or the parent, depending on who it is, you know, because there's obviously a lot of parents sometimes, you know, we'll have, you know, lawyers or surgeons or whatever, somebody that's super busy they, they still communicate with me and they let me know ahead of time because they respect my time just as much as they would expect me to be at a lesson to respect their time. I, I would never no show for, for a lesson. And, and so what I do, and I, I reach out to them and I just say something in a blanketed statement, you know, straightforward, not really too emotional. And then once I get them in person, then I sit down and I talk to them, I explain to them. And I'll tell you, athletes, if you say you miss a film session in football or you miss a lesson and you didn't communicate, you just didn't show up, you know, obviously that's not what you want to do. You want to communicate, like Adam said, because communication to me is utmost and most important when it comes to relationships. Um, but don't show up the next day and pretend like nothing happened. You can't show up the next day and say something like, oh, my bad. You know, you've got to tell the coach and be upfront with them. Hey, why did you miss? Okay. And you can, you can start the conversation, coach. Hey, I know I didn't communicate yesterday. Or if the coach approaches you on it, cause I will walk over to him and I'll talk to him and say, Hey, what, what, what happened? You didn't say anything to me. And usually they'll say something, Oh, I'm really busy. I had homework or something like that. And I go, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. At the end of the day, you are respectful of my time. I'm respectful of your time. I would never show up here. And it reminds me of, I have one of my college players. Um, this was a long time ago. He didn't show up for a lesson. And I was talking to his buddy who showed up at the same hour who he was hitting with. 
And he's like, I don't know what's going on. He said he was going to talk to you and didn't communicate. So he knew he had a lesson. He just chose not to show up because mm-hmm. he had something else that he wanted to do instead. And so I explained to him like, you know, Hey, Hey, I just sh- shot a text said, Hey, this, this is your cancellation fee. Don't ever do this again. We're going to have a talk next time. And he kind of sends me a, uh, he kind of flexed on me a little bit in the text and said something that I didn't like. And so I kind of went into him. I got on him to him. All right. I basically told him like, I would never do this to you. I would never not show up for a lesson that you came to. I would never just, you know, say, Oh, my bad. I would never do that to you. Yeah. I would never say that I had something else. I will always communicate whether it's email, social media, or telling you the week before I said, you're disrespecting my time and, and you're disrespecting your own time because you're investing into this. And if you're not communicating with me, I can't help you. And, and that's the one thing is like, you know, one thing that I really appreciate that my, I was blessed to have a dad that taught me a lot of accountability growing up. And, and one thing he said as a man is you're only as good as your word in this in this world. And integrity is a big deal for me. And I can remember those foundations. If I say something and I'm not perfect by any means, but if I say I'm going to do something, I'm 100% going to have the intention of doing that to my utmost fullest ability. And that is something that when kids come in or even parents come in, I, I'll explain the situation. And most 99% of the time, the parents get it. And I will say about, you know, 80% of the time, the kids don't understand. And one thing that I've realized is if they're not being taught that by parents, there's no way they're going to start implementing that with you. It's not going to happen. And so that's where we turn in from coach to parent. And we have to start teaching them, hey, why is this important to communicate that you're not going to be somewhere? Why is this important to let people know? And that's the thing. It's like they don't understand the ripple effect. There could have been somebody else hitting in that hour that wanted to get a lesson in. They couldn't get in because they had a a family emergency. Maybe there was a new client that wanted to come in and they wanted to to get a lesson in and I couldn't couldn't get in that hour. Um, Maybe that kid was the only kid coming in that hour and I wanted to go home and kiss my babies goodnight that night, you know? There's so many factors and there's such a domino effect for decisions that you have no idea. Because at the end of the day, we, like you were saying earlier, you know, there, there have been kids that have come in, they missed something and they had tears in their eyes and something happened. And I want to put my arm around them and talk to them. And I could give, I could care less about them missing the lesson, but I, I talk to them and communicate with them. I always use a story. When I was in college, my sister passed away um, at 26 years old, unfortunately. And it was the day before I had to report back to South um, South Alabama for uh, uh, practice in the morning. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't. And it was very, very, very sad. And obviously a, a really big hole in my heart, but I knew that I had to make a phone call and tell coach Kittrell that I wasn't going to be there. Um, and I told him the story and obviously he said he was sorry, um, gave his condolences, but it was something like I could have just, you know, understandably just not said anything to anybody. And, but I knew that, I made a commitment to play on this team. I'm getting paid basically to play on this team with a scholarship. I have to respect coach Kittrell's time. I have to respect my teammates time. I can't have them showing up at 6am lifts and going, where the hell's Laird at? Laird's not here. And they assume the worst obviously and, and, and say, screw this guy when they're going in there and killing it, not knowing why I'm not there. And that's something I, I'll use that story to a lot of people a lot. And that's obviously, you know, people could take that different ways. Like, Oh yeah, you're using that blah, 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 blah. I'm just trying to give you guys my experiences in life and, and what I use in situations like that. And it doesn't matter the situation. I've also had a parent who his car got broken into, they shattered the glass everywhere and he called me and let me know he wasn't going to make the session. You know, he's got to talk to the police obviously, but he was respectful enough to give me a phone call. And like, that's, those are guys like that, that I respect hundred percent. I'll run through a wall for, as I always say, 
Um, but talking about that and, 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 and transitioning into this as the players, you know, we talk about players understanding how to communicate with coaches, how to talk to coaches. You know, it actually starts with the parents, you know, and, and Adam, as you know, like a lot of times with negative parents will come negative athletes um, and then accountable parents become accountable athletes. What are some of the things that you see as parents that, you know, some of the main top two or three things that you see as parents um, that are not helping their son They're Maybe they're enabling their son or daughter um, to do negative things as opposed to really teaching them how to grow and be an adult. Yeah, and before we hit on that, I want to just kind of piggyback off what you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. It's funny, I was talking to my buddy this morning. We were just talking about be yourself and be who you are and don't put the fake guy I'm proner out there like you were saying earlier on social media. And then I run into you in the gas station and you're a totally different guy that is cussing up the storm, talking about everybody, whatever it is. But then on this perception of when you're in public – you're going to act like you're this certain kind of type. So just be who you are and be honest, number one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, going to the, the parent kind of issue stuff. So it's funny, my wife Jennifer is a teacher, and how similar our experiences are when we talk at night about maybe what happened during the day where maybe she received an email from a parent basically blaming her for not doing her job as a teacher mm-hmm. when the student in the classroom is disrespectful, misbehaving, not taking homework, having their phone out, whatever it is from that standpoint. But they're so easy to blame the teacher versus taking accountability with the student. So the same could be said for what we do is so easy to blame us when their kids are not having success, when maybe they're not working out on their own. They're not doing stuff yep. outside of the facility. When they are here, they're not giving a hundred percent or maybe ultimately they don't like the game of baseball. I think one big thing is like parents, make sure that your kids are invested in this as well, because the last thing me and Sean want to do is, put our heart and soul into you getting your kid better and your kid doesn't even want to get better. Mm-hmm. And so parents, number one is realize that you're doing this for the kid. They're, you're not doing this for you. I think there's a lot of dads that try to live through their sons, unfortunately, and put all the pressure in the world on them to try to make them this big superstar because maybe they weren't the superstar when they were younger and they're trying to give them opportunities, but they're putting so much pressure on them. They're actually steering their kid in the wrong direction. So going kind of basically what you were saying was number one is, don't be negative with these kids. Ultimately, we talk about it on here. This game is freaking hard. It's really, really hard. So don't be negative on kids if a kid goes out there and goes 0 for 12 on a weekend. It happens. I was comparing – I was talking to a dad the other day. I said hitting is a lot like fishing. Like sometimes you have awesome times. You catch every fish out there. And Sometimes you go fishing and you don't catch squat for mm-hmm. two hours. It's just a part of it. It's the same thing with the hitting world. So the negativity has got to stop. Be, be there for them. And all I would ask – and I was able to do this with my stepson when I was not coaching for the first time uh, back in the fall – Last fall, the only thing, or the summer, the only thing I would ask him was when he got in the car, I was, number one, did you give it your hardest? Did you compete as best as you can? And if you did, that's the end of the conversation. If he says, no, I didn't, then we have a talk about, all right, next time you better go out there and never let it happen again. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about maybe like a basement issue, but never is it like, oh, why didn't you hit that? That guy was terrible. Or why didn't you do this? Or start blaming other people. So parents, number two, leave the umpires out of it. I'm tired of parents coming in and the first thing they do is complain about, man, we got screwed over this weekend, these umpires, blah, blah, blah. We mm-hmm. both know umpires are bad. But at the same time, like they're not perfect people either. Nobody is. So they're going to make mistakes just like players make mistakes. So go back to don't blame other people. And then number three is – don't openly talk about another player maybe on the team or in the training facility and comparing the two. Like that is not fair. If a parent ever has to come up to me about 
well, you know, so-and-so on our team, I stop them right there because that is complete bull crap. That yep. is not in their place to talk about that. All their places to talk about their own son. If you want to come in and start talking about somebody else on the other team, you can get on with that. You can go have that conversation with that parent if you want to kind of be in that boat because you're not going to come in and try to mess up the team chemistry like in that situation. And ultimately what we tell guys here is if it's a negative environment that they're bringing into the facility, we'll ask them that, hey, uh, I enjoyed working with your kid, but – just it's by our best interest either that you don't come in for the session or either you just don't come here anymore. Uh, yes, it's a business we're trying to make money, but at the same time, I do not want that in my place. And I know you don't want that in your place either. It's mm-hmm. just nothing good comes from it. I don't care how much money they're willing to spend is if you're negative, you're trying to do too much, or I hear you talking to your kid in a certain type of tone, like I'm just, I'm not going to put up with it because ultimately this game is super hard and they're trying the best they can. And if they're putting a hundred percent in into it, Hey, it's just part of the game. They got to continue to get better. So that's the biggest thing is just parents don't talk about other players on the team. Talk about your own son or your own daughter, whatever it is from that standpoint. And then number two is don't make excuses for them. Don't try to blame, put blame elsewhere. And then the third one, most importantly, is stay open with communication. Be positive with these kids. Like I said, next time, if you're a parent listening to this, after your son has a travel ball tournament, just try that route. And I actually got that from Chipper Jones. Mm-hmm. I think it was in his book where he talked about all his dad would ever ask is, did you give it 100%? And That's if not, all right, yeah, and if not, it's, this is what we got to work on. But so you want to talk about ruining a, a son-father vibe as you start talking about and critiquing your son. And I'm not saying don't be like, hey, you got to get better at doing this, but you got to be able to help them understand is, all right, I need to pick them up. I need to pat them on the back. That way they're not scared to get in the car with me after the game because I'm about to get chewed out because I struck out three times. No, Mm -hmm. there's just no need for that standpoint there. So that's kind of my views on everything. What's some of your views on handling the parent situation uh, with the parent, player, coach, all all in one? What's kind of your views? Uh, That's good stuff right there, and especially touching on and how parents talk to their children um, or their kids after games. Like that's a – I can sit back and I can think of a million conversations I have with my father after games. And my father is a big type alpha male type guy, um, you know, uh, aggressive, you know, all that mentality, you know, that, that's how he was. And that's how he is still to this day. Obviously, as he's getting older with grandkids, he's become more loving, which I, as, <laughs> as all men do as they get older. Um, but I think, you know, you hit your hit the nail on the head. I'm going to get a little bit more personal here and I'm going to talk about parents and the fact of, you know, what kind of example are you leading? Now I have three children and my kids are at the stage. I have a couple toddlers. I have a four-year-old, two-year-old, and then um, uh, almost a one-year-old now. And, and they copy everything that I do, except for obviously the one-year-old. She's just happy hanging out, living the dream. Um, but they copy everything that I do. And whether it's my attitude, you know, whether it's my body language, um, lifting all the time, like my kids actually lift all the time because they see me lifting and doing things all the time, which is really cool. And I want to show that example of working hard and and, and being disciplined and doing things. And I can already see that impacting them immediately. Um, But also, you know, when I'm in a bad mood or I'm stressed out, my four-year-old will look at me and she'll go, daddy, are you, are you mad? And I go, man. And I, I I will respond to her like, no, daddy's not mad. He's just frustrated right now. He's, he's mad. He's upset right now. doesn't mean it's affecting me. But if my daughter is asking me that, obviously my body language is showing something, or maybe my tone of voice is showing something different. Now, obviously, you know, well, with life, we're going to have stress and stuff. And I'm a very, you know, and I'll be hundred percent honest. Like I'm, I'm happy 
all the time. I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I get frustrated at certain things like, you know, wanting to, there's certain goals I want to achieve and I have to, I have to take the long route and I get pissed off that I have to take the long route. And you and I were just talking about um, the future of Laird's training and future build. And, and I want to find some land and rock and roll, but it's just, I got to wait for that opening to happen and I got to be patient. But I'm going to tell you one thing with parents, like, what are you doing when it comes to a work ethic? Are you setting your kids up for success with the work ethic? If you, if your son comes home and all they see you doing is sit in front of a TV all the time, drinking beer and, and, and just watching TV to me, that's a problem. Um, are you putting yourself in a situation where you're having these conversations with your kids? And I, and I know parents are busy and, and I know I help on parents a lot. There are parents that do phenomenal with their children. And I'll give you an example. Um, I'll have, uh, there's this dad that his son's been working with me for a couple of years now, and he's made unbelievable games in two years. His high school coach just told me the, the, this summer, he's like, he's a completely different ball player. It's unbelievable how much work he's put in. And I love hearing that stuff. And he deserves every bit of that praise. Um, but his dad, when he first started with me, he's like, hey, I, if he's not working hard, I want you to tell me. If he's not showing up and doing the right things, I want you to tell me. Because I don't want to invest in something like this or pay mm -hmm. for something like this if he's not going to give 100%. And I go, hey, dude, I'm already going to say right now, I love your attitude. I love that mindset. And he's setting the standard and setting the precedent of, hey, if, if I'm going to help you to, to your, achieve your goals of playing college baseball one day by paying for lessons or investing in this summer baseball team, you're going to give me everything you got. You're going to give your coach everything you got, and you're going to give yourself everything you've got. And that right there is the type of mentality I love. He didn't ask about, hey, can my son play college baseball one day? He didn't say, hey, is, is my son the worst player in the world? He just wanted to know, is he working hard? And he wanted to know, is, is, is he getting his money's worth when he shows up? Like, is he putting it in? Not from my side at all. And he goes, I know, he goes, I've talked to you many times. He talks to me, I goes, I know, Sean, that you're going to do everything you can and bust, you know, bust your ass for my son. But I just need to know him about my son. And I love that. I love that. Because then I knew right then and there that that dad is on the same page as me. Because I've kicked, like we've talked before, I've kicked kids out of Larry's training because they don't, they're not, they're not setting the standard and they don't represent LT in the right way. So as a parent, you know, you're investing in lessons. How are you helping your son up with success? Another thing is, is like, so you're paying for hitting lessons or you're paying for fielding lessons or pitching lessons or whatever you're paying for. What does your son have amenity wise at home in order to help do those drills and do those things on his own? Are you just expecting him to get better once a, uh, one hour a week and, and not continue to develop on his own? That's a problem. Like you're not helping them. Are you teaching your kids how to have conversations with adults? Are you teaching your kids how to be disciplined? And what I mean by that is say, you know, your son is getting recruited by a college baseball coach. If he's talking to him in person, is he looking him in the eye? Is he shaking him with a strong, a strong, firm handshake? Is he having a good conversation? And one thing down south that I love, and my kids will do this, but down south, everybody says yes, sir, no, sir, no matter what it is. And if it's an adult, you know, they'll say, like, if the guy's name is Mike, they'll say Mr. Mike. And I love that. I might say my dad rose me up the right way, but up north, it's completely different. Like, people don't do that. Like, like people, it, it's so people up north kind of see it as, you know, uh, disrespectful at times, you know, if somebody's a little bit younger, um, but it's just, it's just a mindset. It's a respect thing. And that's one thing that I, that I loved about the culture in the South and what I want to carry into the culture and my family up here up North. I still consider myself a Southern boy at heart just from living down there. But um, there's a lot that we can learn from families that, that teach their kids like that uh, and teach their kids to say those things because they're teaching them how to respect 
adults. They're teaching them how to respect authority, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're teaching their kids how to have conversations, how to be respectful in those conversations. Um, I can, I've talked to kids. I picked up kids for summer baseball and I pick, I call them on the phone. And they're like, yeah. Uh-huh. And they're just giving me one word answers. And, and, and I look at them, I go, I already don't look at them. Obviously I tell them, I go, dude, we got to work on your conversation skills, man. Cause this is terrible. This is terrible. And they get offended. They get super butthurt when I say that to them. And it's like, so I'm trying to tell you something to make you better. And like you said earlier, like everybody likes that, that the hard coach mentality of discipline, accountability, let's give everything we got. Let's maximize our ability until that person is called out. Then they don't like it anymore. They don't like that mindset. And these are things as parents that I think that are looked over a lot. And, you know, when I would get done playing, obviously my dad would want me to be successful. But one thing that he did a good job of is he would tell me that my body, if my body language sucked, he would tell me that if I had a bad attitude and I remember all the way in little league, if, if something bad would happen or a bad attitude or my body language, he'd get on me after the game and he would lay into me. And of course, when you're that age, like, oh my God, leave me alone and stuff like that. And as I got older, I, I understood like you're representing your last name everywhere you go, but you're representing your coach, you're representing your team, you're representing yourself, you know, when it comes to jobs in the future, body language tells me as a coach. And now I, I, I really, I really consider myself as reading body language as one of my strengths. And as parents, I think they get too caught up in, Hey, you went over four with a day with three K's. Hey, um, you made that error at shortstop or, or, Hey, your coach is, is putting somebody else into there and you're going out to the outfield. Like he shouldn't be doing that stuff. You're talking about all the wrong things and you're talking about things that are out of, you know, the mistakes are going to happen. It's out of your control. You're going to make mistakes. But one thing that is missed upon is how is your son handling themselves? How, how is he interacting with his teammates? Is he a good teammate? Is he a good person? Does he pick up trash in the dugout? just because it's there. And that's one thing that I will say only 10% of athletes that I coach will see trash on the ground. I was walking from my kid's preschool the other day and I saw a bag going around. I looked around. I was like, whose bag is this? And nobody was picking up this bag on, on the ground. I just went over and I picked it up and I threw it away. And again, I'm not saying, again, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not sitting here saying, Oh, look at Mr. Laird. He's, 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 he's the, you know, the nicest guy and the best guy in the world. I'm not, I'm not, I'm obviously not like that. I have a bad temper and I make mistakes all the time and I get irritated and I piss people off. It is what it is. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm intentional with trying to do good things. And as a parent, the biggest thing that I think that is misconstrued and is not looked on when we're coaching these athletes is, are you raising a good person? Are you raising a person that's lifting other people up? Are you raising a person that can communicate with adults? Are you raising a person that when he gets to the real world, he can set out himself up for success for a job. Because let's look at this and let's do an analogy real quick. Hey, Coach Adam, why am I on the B team? I don't understand why I'm on the B team right now. I should be on the A team right now. We're going to go to another organization. Or Coach Laird, um, this is disrespectful. I've been on the A team my whole life and now I'm on the B team. Why? This is your fault. Everybody else thinks I'm an A team. My mom and my grandma think I'm an A team. Okay, so as a parent, if you are initiating that conversation and you are saying those things to your son or daughter, you are basically telling them in the future when they get into a real world and they have a job interview, they don't get the job and they don't get the job. Somebody else gets the job. You start making those same excuses. Are you going to call that, that employee? You're going to call that employer and say, 
hey, you made this mistake. This person's been an A-plus person their whole life. No, you're not going to do that because it's the real world. It's, it's do or die. To me, life is war. And I know that's a, that might be a little melodramatic for people, but I consider businesses a war. I consider everything I do at LT to be better than everybody else. I consider my players to, to work harder and be better than everybody else. I consider me being a father, it's a war within myself to do good things every single day and, and to help my kids and raise them better. And when you take that mentality of, oh, this coach has it out for you, or that coach has it out for you, or this or that is, is the reason, or this kid's not very good, but he's playing in front of you. You're setting your son or daughter up for an excuse the rest of their life when they enter into the real world of why they don't achieve their goals. And I think one thing that parents need to do, actually, I know one thing that parents need to do, and we're all guilty of this, of making excuses. I think they need to step back and say, what are you not doing or what are your weaknesses that didn't get you that job? Why are you not the shortstop of this team? Why, so the other kid, you throw 82 mile an hour across the diamond, this kid throws 92 across the diamond. This kid's 60 is 6'6", six, six, you're 60 is 7'2". I don't care if you hit 15 home runs when you were 12. It doesn't matter, right? And I think that, you know, if we sit back and we look at, let's focus on how we're developing men and women and how we're developing our kids for success in life and actual metrics, like, I, like what's a metric as a person? Well, is this person happy and saying positive things or is he negative? Just like I can measure exit velocity off the bat, I can measure what comes out of somebody's mouth if it's positive or negative. That's a metric in life. Um, and that's some things that I, and I, I kind of got a little in-depth there and a little personal there. Um, but those are things with parents that I see as a big, 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 big problem. Because if, if parents are disrespecting other people, if parents are saying negative things all the time, kids are going to follow in your footsteps. They're going to say the exact same things. Um, and drama is going to happen in life, but we've got to set ourselves up for success. And the way we set ourselves up for success is looking in the mirror and saying, what can I do better today that I didn't do yesterday? Um, that's just my two cents on that subject. No, you totally nailed it right there. I mean, from the standpoint of these, your parents, you're setting an example for your kids, no matter what they're doing. Like you said, they're always watching you. And so if they see you do it, they think they can get away with it as well. And then mm -hmm. you want to start being disrespectful to the coach and you want to end up on some bad list. And I think that's where a lot of these, we call them travel ball hoppers happen is they go from one team to another, to another, to another, whether it's the parents saying they should be on the B team, then the kids start saying it. And then he's disrespectful to this other team because he thinks he should be on the A team. And then it just trickles downhill from there. So yep. I think the biggest thing is just these kids have to understand what respect is as well as accountability, punctuality, and they've got to be able to understand how to compete. They don't know mm -hmm. how to do that stuff anymore. And it, and it drives me insane because you can try to get it out of them, but some kids just don't know how to do it. And mm -hmm. uh, parents will come in and be like, hey, you can be a disciplinary now. And number one is it's not my job to be a disciplinary to your kid. Like you should discipline them. Don't yep. pay me to discipline your kid just because you're too scared to get onto your kid. That's not how this stuff works. We're not in this for that reason right there. Mm -hmm. Now, if they're being disrespectful and we're going to talk about it, why they're being disrespectful, if they have extra punishment. And then as a parent, you want to approach a coach like, hey, if you don't mind, like why did so-and-so have to do extra sled pushes? Well, I'll tell you, he was disrespectful to me, and this is what he said or whatever it is from that standpoint. Yep. And you'll have some parents say, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, get after it with them. Then you'll have some that try to make the excuse of, oh, well, yeah, he's just been having a rough day at school, you know, and there's a lot going on. No, it's, he's being disrespectful. He probably saw it come from yourself and thought he could get away with doing it, whether yep. it's to us or in the teacher world, it happens a ton as well. It's just we're trying to mentor these young students and young athletes and there's just some out there, man. It's just tougher than others. And you see 
see why they don't turn into successful people later on in life and pass the baseball world. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head right there when it says kids don't know how to compete. And I think people say that sometimes, but they don't really go into detail. And I, I had a parent actually the other day ask me like, hey, how's, how's, how's my boy doing in the weight room? How's he doing right now? Is he making gains? And I said, he's working hard, but he's learning how to work hard and he's learning how to push himself. And, and he kind of asked me a question. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was kind of like, well, what do you mean type, type question? And I, and I basically was like, it blows my mind when I see kids in the weight room and obviously one person is stronger and their partner is weaker. And that stronger person is like, Hey, I'm going to do the same. Yeah. I'm going to say, do the same weight as this guy. And for all players that are listening to this podcast or, or parents that need to teach their kids like this, they need to be in competition with everyone, everything that they do. I'm reading Andy Frisella's book, 75 hard right now. And it's a guy's podcast, the MF CEO and real AF that I listen to all the time. I love the guy's podcast, but he was talking about how his dad, when he was raising him, their family mantra was kill, kill, kill. And people are like, oh my God, kill. No, he's obviously not talking about killing human beings. He's talking about kill the day, kill the task, kill the person in front of you. Like you're going to do better than that person. And I love that mentality. And my dad had that same time mentality. We didn't have a mantra, obviously, but he was, he basically would tell me like, you're in competition with everyone. You need to be better than everyone. And, and that's something like we live in a world where everybody gets trophies. Like my, my daughter's getting a sticker every day when she leaves preschool and it pisses me off. And I, yeah. I know it shouldn't bother me, but it's like, stop giving them stickers every time they're doing something they should be doing. Like, I'm not going to say good job because you brush your teeth. You're supposed to brush your teeth. Yep. I'm going to say I'm proud of you because you're getting more discipline, obviously. I'm obviously not trying to treat and, and talk down to my kids, but you've got to stop saying, hey, participation is, is, is getting better. It's, it's not. It's not. Participation is what is expected out of you. It's expected out of life. Paying your taxes, doing things you're supposed to do, you shouldn't get praised for those things. And, yeah. and because of that, people don't know how to compete. And, and they say, well, they're getting rewarded for normal things. And if you listen to it, I'm going to talk about a little bit of psychology right here. If you really watch families that try to praise everything that kids do and, and their brothers and sisters do, when somebody actually really has success, you start seeing animosity and you start seeing them getting pissed off at those kids and, sh- and, and basically deflecting and showing anger toward that person because they're actually and they're, they're, they're really actually seeing somebody be successful and then they get mad at that. They get that, that envy or, or, or jealousy if you want to compare that. And I hate those words. I've never had a feeling of being envious of somebody because I've – and I think – and I'm kind of getting into depth here and in my heart here, but the biggest reason is because I consider myself a competition with everybody. Like my route is my route. My road is my road. And like, I'm never going to compare what I'm doing to somebody else's doing. Naturally as, as human beings, we will compare like, Hey, where should I be at right now? But I've always had where, well, am I better than last year? Am I growing from last year? And so anyways, long story short to get to the dad that answers the question and goes, well, I had him put 50 more pounds on his barbell for RDLs and he was, he was trying to do lighter weight and he achieved that 50 pounds and did pretty well at it. And if I wouldn't have pushed him and told him to put that weight on, he wouldn't have done that. Obviously if he didn't have the right technique and didn't do those things, but there's a mental barrier that kids put on themselves and it prevents them for achieving things that they may say is impossible. Um, and that's one thing I think that parents can do a better job of is Hey, if you're busting your ass and you're doing everything, you can achieve anything. Don't set a barrier for you. If you're doing something, and that's one thing is once something gets a little hard, they think just because it's hard, 
okay, I'm doing good enough. But what about, can you do the thing that's a little bit harder? Can you run that extra sprint? Can you add that extra five pounds? Can you ask that question that you're insecure about asking Coach Adam at the end of hitting that you, maybe you're not understanding? Those are things that you need to take next steps in. Um, but I love that you said that about not being able to compete because those things that people talk about all the time, but like if you treat everything as a competition, you're going to learn how to compete, period, period. Yeah, and that goes for anything in the world. It doesn't just have to do the baseball side. It's compete yep. against yourself or compete against somebody else. Try to make the highest grades in the class. Too many kids mm -hmm. are so – I just want to be the cool kid and sit back and relax. The same mm -hmm. thing happens in baseball practice. So uh, I'm not trying to get the extra reps in. I know there was one kid that made the Knights team, basically made the team, and he tells me this because when they did the open tryout – they were asking if anybody wants extra reps and he would not stop getting out of the cage. He kept taking the extra reps because he was, Hey, I'm here. I'm yeah. trying to show out for these guys. I'm going to continue to do this. I'm not going to be, and everybody made fun of him for it, but look, he made the team. Now he's on the black team and he'll play college baseball one day, but it's just that atmosphere of competing and trying to compete against yourself. And if you don't have that, you need to start trying to create it. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it all the time is, Anything in life that is hard, if you can overcome that, you feel this joy and this like satis satisfaction of, dang, that was hard, but I freaking got through it. Whether it was gassers or a marathon or a weightlifting, comp whatever it is from that standpoint, heck, even if it's like putting a puzzle together. If you put a thousand-piece puzzle together, once you get done, you're going to be freaking proud. Where if it's oh, yeah. a 25-piece puzzle and you put it together, there's no satisfaction in that. It's easy. Nope. Like nope. Anybody can do that. So I think in anything in life, if it's hard – and you can overcome that, you're going to feel so much joy as well as you're going to kind of get that, the competitive high that I like to talk about with guys is once you get a taste of that, you want more and it doesn't stop. And then that's when it's game on. And that's what's so cool about when you see these kids raise up the level of competition of maybe it's starting off local little tournaments. And then when they go to statewide and then when they go to regional wide, then when they go to South, the whole country wide, you want to talk about who's the best of the best. Cause ultimately if you're trying to play college baseball, that's the guys you're competing with to try to get spots on rosters. Like uh -huh. with myself and Sean, he came from Indiana. We had guys from Canada. We had guys from all over all in this one roster trying to compete together. And one thing before we get off here that it was funny, you were bringing up your stuff down when you were at South. And what I want to talk about the players is to have that player coach connection and relationship. I'll never forget my junior year. Uh, I didn't feel like I was really fully a part of the team. I transferred in. I was Juco guy. I didn't know a lot of people. And I just remember Kitchell was on me all the time, always mm -hmm. on me. And I like to get coached hard. I'm not saying that I didn't like that standpoint, but the biggest thing I didn't like about it was I never felt like he truly cared about me. I thought he looked yep. at me as just a number and a roster standpoint versus getting to know me. And so I'll never forget he came out to center field one day and basically try to get on me again. And he said, Heisler, if you don't like it this way, you can leave and get, walk off my field right now. And I'll never forget to this day. It's the first time I ever did it. And it was the last time I ever did it. But I started walking off the field. And I remember getting to the foul line. He came running up to me, asking me what was going on, what was wrong. And I basically had the conversation with him. And we took it into his office. And I told him, I said, I don't feel like you care about me. And I don't feel like you care about all of us as a player. Yep. And it was just so cool that he even admitted, like, I'm sorry. Like, I need to get to know my guys. I need to get to know you. And, and basically started, we started building a little bit more of a relationship there so it's just one example i wanted to bring up of maybe in that personal scenario of if you're not feeling that is reach out to your coach maybe he doesn't know something's going on and don't be afraid to have these tough conversations and i'll never forget after talking to him lucky pulled me to the side and he's like adam what's going on and i kind of told him i didn't feel like i was kind of a part of the team i feel like there's already clicks and stuff and he goes look to become a better teammate, I want you to go out of your way to start being better teammates with the guys. He goes, before you know it, they're going to start to understand you, respect you, and get to know you. He said, that's just my advice. Give it a week of trying to be the best teammate possible. Like, go over the top. 
to some of these guys. And it was the best advice I ever gave because after that, I finally felt like I was a South Alabama Jaguar. But mm-hmm. it's just something small and simple like that of you never know what somebody's feeling. And for one perspective now when I am coaching kids is, number one, I try to build a personal relationship with them before baseball and let them know that I fully care about them before I tell them, hey, they got to go do this. They got to go do this. They got to go with this and just use them as workers. And I think using that standpoint, you're going to get so much more out of a kid if you tell him something maybe he's really good at before you try to criticize him. Because I was reading a book about Pete Carroll, and he talks about that a ton of if you just come in criticizing right away, a lot of kids will put blinders up and they cover their ears and they don't want to hear it and they block you out. So anything followed behind that, you've already lost them. So he says – as opposed to when you're trying to work with a kid and critique a kid, tell him something he's good at first and then follow it up with, hey, now this is where we can improve. And he goes, mm-hmm. I promise you they'll be way more inclined to listening to you and be like, okay, I can, I can get better at that. I see what he's saying now as opposed to the other way around. So people that are listening, parents that are listening, try that with your kids next time. Hey, you're swinging the bat really well at practice today, but hey, our throws from shortstop. Let's start getting a little bit more accurate on those. And I promise you the kid will understand as opposed to as soon as they get in the car, what's up with your throw some shortstop? Why are they so bad? And then they forgot everything else that happened. So mm-hmm. that was just a few things, little nuggets I want to drop here as we're getting towards the end. But I think this is an awesome episode, man. It was very cool. And we didn't really even dive into the, the baseball type of world. There was so much of just real world stuff that goes yep. on that we're able to build. And this is why I love sports so much is number one, watching sports and being a part of a team and being, in a locker room and camaraderie, like you're having these kids from all over the place from different backgrounds work together to accomplish one goal. And does everybody have to like each other? No, it's not everybody has to be best friends, but when you strap up together, you better be ready to go to war, so to speak with your team to compete against that other team. And if you give either one of us 25 kids that are competitive, that are blue collar, I could care less of how good they are at baseball. I'll tell you, we're going to give teams fits just based off that standpoint right there. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm going to touch on this a little bit before before we roll out, but I love that you said that. And as coaches, I actually vaguely remember you telling me that a little bit on practice. I, like that was, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as a coach, you can't let your players feel like they're pawns in your chess game. You can't. And when I first started coaching, um, my mental toughness and my thick skin is very good. Obviously, I feel like I could always get better, but I would – start correcting kids constantly and they would kind of take it the wrong way in the beginning. And I made a mistake of instead of like asking them and talking to them and, 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 you know, getting to know them a little bit more in the beginning and talk to them about their personal life, whether it's a girlfriend or dad, what do they do with their free time? Once I started doing that, they would listen to everything I would say and they would, they would, they would buy into it. And I, and people that aren't listening, I, I'm a bigger guy. I have an intimidating personality you know, and, and there are parents that, that absolutely hate the way that I coach every single year. I mean, they, they hate it. Like we get evals with the bulls and I would say 90% of them are positive. There's always one or two that are negative. And one of them to like this year was like, Oh, this coach is, he micromanages everything. He's talking about everything. And I asked all the players constantly ask them, like, I put my arm around him, ask them individually. Hey, how are we doing this year? How are you, how are you, you know, how, how are the players? How, how are we doing as coaches? Is there anything we can do better? And I always, now I do that all the time because I want them to try to feel like they could be comfortable enough to tell me that. Cause they're not going to say it in a group atmosphere, but they'll say it to me one-on-one a lot of times. And I put my arm around the kids. I had five kids tell me that they love me at the end of the summer this year. And that's a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and parents on the outside, they see me correcting or doing things and saying things, right. 
or raising my voice and, and they get butt hurt because I'm trying to fix, you know, something with a kid or maybe they feel like, oh my God, they feel like they're two feet tall because their kid's getting yelled at or getting in trouble. But they don't know the background of the story. They don't know that I, I talked to that kid beforehand about this stuff, um, you know, and he put his arm around me. I put his arm around him and we were developing a relationship. And that's one thing as a coach, you know, we talk about accountability as coaches, you know, you're a mentor first, you know, and then you're going to be coached second. And mentor is a guy that's going to listen and instruct. He's going to help teach. He's going to help build up and lift up and also discipline and, and give constructive criticism. And that's something that I think we could all do a lot better, a lot, a lot better job of specifically, you know, when it comes to building the relationships, you know, you can't coach the same year over and over and over and over. If you're doing the same year over and over and over and over, you're not growing as a human being, not growing as a coach. And you're going to have different personalities on the team every year. You're going to have different types of people every year. You've got to adapt or die as a coach. And that's one thing. And I, for me, that's why I, I feel like we're always so successful every single year. And I take a lot of pride in us being successful is because we try to create that camaraderie, but also that accountability and discipline environment. And it's a fine line. You, some kids don't understand it. And there might be one or two kids that leave the summer and then understand it. Might not figure it out for three, four years down the road. Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, if the kids know that you care, parents know that you care, they might not agree with everything that you do, but they're going to respect and buy into that process 100%. Yeah, no, it, they, the nail on the head there. And, yeah, I think we covered pretty much everything from that standpoint today. So I'm proud that we were able to do this, man. A lot of people I don't think will set their ego aside and kind of talk about past experiences that, that they've had and bring them up and have open conversations about them because ultimately, like we talked about earlier, is a lot of people want to act like they're the tough guy, but they don't want to sit down and tell what helped them get to where they are today and the adversity that they've overcome. So yep. uh, this was good stuff today, man. Yep, the real tough guy is admits his faults and goes through his background and his open book. That's the real tough guy. But yeah. all right, guys. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, please leave us that five star review if you did. Obviously, it's a little bit more personal here, but this is stuff that I feel like that needs to be talked about more that isn't covered a lot of times. So um, hope you guys enjoyed that. And until next time, we'll see you later.